Open your Bible with me to the book of First Thessalonians, chapter 4, First Thessalonians, chapter 4. And we're going back after about three weeks um, to the chapter that we left off here in the fourth chapter of First Thessalonians, where Paul is really encouraging the church of Thessalonica regarding the last days and living ready for the rapture, living ready for his Return. That is the theme. Be ready for, to, for the return of Christ. As we look at the events that's ta- that are taking place around our world with the Middle East, as we focus our attention to Israel and we align those things with Scripture, we can see that we are truly living in the last days. And if we believe that to be true, as we see Israel being surrounded by their enemies, embarked by their enemies, and we know that this is all being set up, the nations joining into one uh, alliance, that we are truly approaching that time of the soon return of Jesus Christ. And if that is true, I want you to know this, we must be living a life ready for the rapture of the church. How are we to live a life ready for the rapture of the church? Living a life that pleases the Lord. In fact, we titled the message this morning, Living a pure life. If you like writing notes, you can title the message this morning, Living a Pure Life. The return of the Lord is a strengthening truth for us is that it motivates us to live a pure life. It encourages us, it it exhorts us to live that life that pleases Him. In fact, in the beginning of chapter 4, what Paul does is that he urges, he exhorts. He says that you would abound more and more. What does that word abound mean? It means that you would excel, that you would increase more and more in two areas, in particular love and holiness. These are the two areas that Paul would encourage the church to continue to grow in as they're waiting for the Lord Jesus. These are two essentials for Christian growth. You want to know spiritual maturity? Then you must know holiness and love. Then you must walk in holiness and love. We must grow up. They had become new believers. They had been born again after he had spent three Sabbaths with them. And he said, now that you have been born again, you must continue to excel, to grow, to increase more and more in these areas. In fact, what did Paul tell the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3? It was a church that would compromise. It was a carnal church. And he would tell them, you need to grow up spiritually. In fact, he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I grew up. And that way, he gives a reference, an illustration as to how we are to grow up. How many times have you seen a, a little infant or a baby that maybe they'll throw something because they don't want it or they'll yell and you think it's kind of cute and maybe argue with you and, and it's cute, but... W- Imagine having a a teenager, a young adult that does that. That, That's not cute anymore. And what is he saying is you have to grow up. And the two essentials for Christian growth are holiness and love come out of a lifestyle of sin. The exhortation here in chapter 4 is if you're going to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ, you need to come out of a lifestyle of sin. And he teaches this specifically by, by giving them the standard of morality. 
Morality, it's very important that we receive our standards on the way we're going to live our lives from the Word of God, not from the culture, not from the trends, not from methods, not, not from what the world wants to tell us, but that we should receive the standard of morality and values from the Word of God. Because what the world wants to do is give you its own set of values. The devil wants to give you his own set of morals and standards. You think about what they're teaching children in public schools, the sex education. It's so twisted, it's wrong. And they don't know the difference now between right and wrong. The standard of morality has become so low now. And he's telling them this because they came out of a place in a time where, where sexual perversion was so now great that they had to learn to come out of that type of culture. And so likewise us, we need to learn how to live a pure life in an impure world so that our minds are not corrupted with loose thinking, with, with a low sense of morality, with addictions that the world wants to offer us that pollute, that corrupt the heart and the mind of people today. You think about everything that the world wants to push right now. The agenda to push wherever you go is sex, that sex would sell. And you know what it does? It, it now brings fornication in the life of people. And then adultery and any other, other type of sexual sin that you see that destroys marriages. It, it destroys families. It, it has long-term consequences. So he spends time here speaking of that, the, the sexual sin that they needed to come out of and live lives of holiness, of purity, so that they would not now fall into these old practices. And we too, we need to learn that, that we would not go back to what God delivered us from. That we would not go back to the sin that God rescued us from. We, we've come out of bondage into a life of freedom. You think about what the world wants to even sell. They, they, they sell safe sex, giving prevention preventative methods in, in college campuses and universities, now even in high school campuses. I want you to know this, something, that, that the only time that sex is safe is when it's in the will of God. Otherwise, it's never safe. We need to receive our standards in regards to the word of God. You think about what the world calls adultery. It calls it an affair. And it lowers standards to appeal to the pleasures and desires of man. Now, we need to learn this because here he's teaching us so that we have confidence that we're living a life that honors him until he comes. This is important, so we know that. I can't tell you three weeks ago how many uh, responses and feedback I received from people out in the foyer or throughout the week that would say, I needed to hear that message in regards to sexual purity. Because there are people in the church that struggle with pornography, with sexual sin, with any other type of sin. It doesn't have to be only sexual. And here what Paul is saying to the church of Thessalonica is that you must maintain a pure life. You know what this doctrine is? It's the doctrine of sanctification. Write that word down this morning, sanctification. What does that mean? Is that you, we are set apart for God's service. He's teaching them to be set apart for God's service, that we must continue to grow in this area. Now, positionally, 
They had already been sanctified. They, at their conversion, they accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. They had been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. They were declared justified. And they were set apart now from the world, set apart from the flesh, set apart from sin, from now giving into those desires, and they're set apart for God's service. And that's where practical sanctification now begins as well. It's not simply in a moment. It's also an ongoing process that every single day we're walking according to Christ's likeness. We're walking now more to the image of Jesus Christ. We experience this progressive holiness. What does that mean? As the Holy Spirit is working in your life, every single day you die to self and become more and more and more like Jesus. In fact, remember this today. Our holiness is an indication of our relationship with Jesus. Your holiness right now is an indication of your relationship with Jesus, how to live a pure life in an impure world. It's what we studied this Wednesday night with Pastor Dave Rolf. That Daniel, there in Babylon, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself, not to corrupt himself, not to pollute himself. That's what Paul is telling the Thessalonians. And how does he do this? He first says in verse 1 that we are to please God. This is what we are to do. What are you to do? To please God. In fact, he says you should walk in a way that pleases God. And then in verse 2 and 3, he says that you are to obey God. This is why you should do it. What should you do to walk in a way that pleases God? Why should you do it, verse 2 and 3? Because that's the will of God for your life. That's the order, that's the commandment, that you should abstain from sexual sin. And today we look at, we are to glorify God, and then we are to escape judgment. So I want to invite you that you would stand with me this morning for the reading of his word. We'll begin there in verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll read the even verses and you read the odd verses out loud together. It would say this, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. That no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, today we do not want to reject your message. You've given us a specific message for today for us, Lord, and we pray that Today, the Spirit would speak personally, and we would receive it as if it is for us, because it is. Lord, reveal to us those areas that we still need to surrender, where we need to empty ourselves of self, of sin, Lord, of lustful desires, so that we walk according to the Spirit. Teach us, Lord, to be ready for your return, to live in a way, Lord, that pleases you, in Jesus' name, and together we said Amen. You may be seated. Again, there in verse 1, he's reminding, exhorting, pleading, urging as to what to do. To please God. That is the goal. That is the aim. I want you to remember that today, that we are to walk in a way that pleases God. 
Because everything else in these few verses builds off of that. It builds off the aim and the focus and the heart and the goal that we are to walk in a way that pleases God. Now, in verse 2 and 3, again, he tells us why we are to do this, because it's an order, because it's a command, because it's the will of God. Notice the command of God that we should abstain. The word abstinence is a word in the Bible. It's a Bible word there in verse 3. This is God's will for your life, your sanctification, that you would abstain from all types of sexual sin. We've identified that three weeks ago, that any type of sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant is sin. Anything that you cannot do by faith and in faith, it is sin. He's told us what to do, walk in a way that pleases God. Why to do it? Because it's the will of God that you should abstain from sexual sin. But there in verse 4 and 5, notice what he tells us today, how to do this. How are we to walk in holiness? What to do, why to do it, but here, how to do it. How are we going to do it? We're going to glorify God. Beginning in verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. And we begin here knowing how to walk in a way that pleases God by exercising self-control. You know, today in the culture that we live in, everybody wants to talk about self. It's self-esteem, self-motivation, or self-help books. It has everything to do with self. The, the culture trains you to put yourself first. Self. In fact, what does your phone have? You have it in your pocket. Your phone, you take it out, and what do you do? You take a selfie. <laughs> and your phone trains you to take a picture of yourself. In fact, have you ever taken a group picture? Even when you take a, a picture with a group, what's the first thing you do? You, let me see it. And the first person you look for is who? Yourself. I want to see how you, no, let's take another one. I didn't look at it in that one. It has everything to do with self. And I want you to know this today, that if we're going to talk about self, let's talk about self, now control. If we're going to talk about self, let's talk about self-denial. If you want to talk about self, let's talk about self-discipline. If we're going to talk uh, about self, we must talk about now exercising self-control. This is exactly how we please God, by exercising self-control, by honoring God with your body. This is why it uses that verse, that each of you should know. I love that in a different translation, instead of the word that, it uses then. God's called you to sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual sin to holiness. Then each of you will know how to possess his own vessel. And the word there in verse 4 that's so important is the word know. That you should know how to control your own body. That's why he uses the word possess. The word possess means to master. That you would know how to master or you would know how to control each one of us individually our own body. Now do you see here that it says to possess his own vessel? That each of you, that we are without excuse that we are held accountable, that we should know how to control our body when it comes to sin. You see, you can't walk out today saying, well, you know what, I, I didn't know that was sin. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to do that. Well, you do know, I just told you. <laughs> you know now, God's will for your life is that you would know how to control your own body so that you keep yourself pure from sin. Do you see that there in verse 4? 
God's will is that you would know how to master, that's the word possess, your own body so that you would keep yourself pure from sin. A lot of people and commentators believe that where he uses the word vessel, it's now describing a wife because Peter describes the wife as the weaker vessel. But he's not referring to your wife. He's referring to your own body, men. Your wife is not the problem. <laughs> your lustful desires, your own body, that's the problem. And this is what he's referring to, that each of you know how to live a godly life in an ungodly world. How does it begin with self-control? Exercise it. In fact, what did Paul tell that church of Corinth that was given into every appetite of the flesh? That that would just now feed off of emotion and lustful pleasures and carnalities in 1 Corinthians 9.27. Notice what he said, but I discipline my body. I discipline my body, Paul is saying, and I bring it under subjection, under submission. I bring my body self-control. I exercise it. Bring my body under control. I master my body, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I know how to control my body, Paul is saying. I must do it so that I don't step into sin. So many people say, well, pastor, pray for me. I, I fell into sin. I want to tell you, you didn't fall into sin. You knew it was sin. You walk right into it. This is why you must exercise self-control so that you would not become disqualified. That's what Paul says. I discipline my body. I bring it under subjection because I don't want to become disqualified because of this topic of sexual sin. How many people do you know of that were very gifted, that are calling on their life, anointed, but compromised in the area of sexual sin, and they were disqualified from being used of God? Why? You will disqualify yourself when you compromise with sin. Never again will it be the same. Yes, God will forgive you. God will restore you. But the intended plan that he had for your life, you disqualified yourself from him because you did not exercise self-control. You see, I like how the King James Version would read that verse where Paul would say, but I buffet my body. Some people think it says, but I buffet my body. That's not what it says. You don't just give your body what it wants. I buffet. It. It's like an athlete, like a soldier. Think about an athlete that is training for a competition. He sleeps when he needs to sleep on schedule. He eats only certain foods. He wakes up. He's focused. He trains with a certain regiment because he's focused for a race and a finish line. You too, as a Christian today, I want you to know this. You are in training. What are you training for? Holiness. Every single day, you're exercising your spiritual walk unto holiness. For what race? The Christian race. The race of faith. For what finish line? The day when you meet Jesus Christ. We are constantly training in holiness. And he says you should excel more and more in this way. That you'd be dedicated, deliberately engaged in training unto holiness. In fact, the mind and the will control the body. And this is exactly what he's saying here that your mind and your will would control the body, that you would know how to possess your own vessel. You know, this is a struggle. It's not something you naturally want to do. You don't wake up all of a sudden. You say, I have complete control over my body. In fact, what's that really annoying sound that every day wakes you up, the alarm, right? You feel like grabbing it and throwing it across the bedroom sometimes. Like, I'm tired of the sound. 
But notice what he's saying here, that you would know how to discipline your body, that, that, that you, this struggle would be won by persistent effort, by deliberate, that you would not be emotional, that you would not be immature, that, that you would be mindful of the race, that you would be mindful of the finish line that you're training for holiness. So why do we read there verse 4? It is God's will that you should know, circle the word know, how you must act in the matter of sexual purity. Now what's the blessing of living a life of sexual purity? What's the blessing of living a life of purity? Well, your life is not contaminated or polluted. You know what you become? You become a vessel of honor. If you live a life of purity, you are useful to the master. Today, we want to be useful to the master. And how are you useful to the master as a vessel of honor? In fact, Paul told Timothy this. Timothy, I want you to be a pure vessel for the Lord. Timothy, as you are pastoring the church there in Ephesus, maintain a pure life and God will use you. You want God to use your life right now? Then maintain a pure life. You want to be used? Then Notice, you have to make yourself usable. And the way you do that is by living a pure life. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, notice what Paul tells Timothy, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, if anyone cleanses himself from those past sins and lifestyle that they came out of, he will be a vessel of honor sanctified, notice, separated for God's use, and useful for the master prepared for every good work. The best preparation is your personal sanctification. Remember that today. The best preparation is your personal sanctification. And this is why he says, if you want to be useful for the master in the hands of the master, then make yourself a vessel of honor. Now, notice the word that he uses there in verse 4. He uses the word of vessel again. We are to be vessels of honor. Notice, your body is a vessel. And we have to make sure that the vessel always maintains itself clean. Do you protect the vessel from whatever it is around, that it is a pure vessel, that the vessel is not contaminated, that, that the vessel is pure of any type of outside hindrance or sin, or pollution, or corruption, because the word vessel, notice what it means. It means utensil, or it means tool. We are a utensil. Your life and body is a tool that is to be useful for honor prepared in the hands of the master. This is why there in verse 4, he says this, that you should know to be a prepared tool, a prepared utensil, useful for God's use in your life. How do we do this? By glorifying God in the body. You think about a chef, you think about a doctor, surgeon, whether they're going to prepare food or they're going to prepare to operate in a surgery. What do they do? They put on gloves and then they look for the cleanest utensil and vessel and tool. The same way the Lord, he will not use a dirty vessel. He will not use a dirty knife to do his work in ministry. He will not work in the lives of other people with a dirty vessel. So there we learn that we must maintain a pure life. You see, because sexual sin is not only sin against other people, it's not only sin against someone that you're performing sexual sin with. 
But sexual sin is also sin against your own body. In fact, I want you to put a marker there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 13. We're going to continue talking about self-control and why our body is to be a vessel that is useful in honor for the Lord. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, this is what Paul tells this church. A church, again, struggling with carnality. Notice what he says there. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods. So many can say amen to that. But notice what he says. But God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Notice who the body is for. The body is for the Lord. It's not for a sexual appetite or sin. And the Lord is for the body. Isn't that amazing? Your body is for the Lord's use, and the Lord inhabits your body. Get that in your mind. Know that very clearly. Your body is a tool for the Lord, and the Lord uses your body. He inhabits your body. And God both raised up the Lord, who will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? What does that mean, that your body is a part of the body of Christ? It's a member. Your body is a part of the body of Christ. Shall I then take a part or members of the body of Christ and make them a part of a harlot or a prostitute? Certainly not. How can you take that which is a part of the body of Christ and join it into sexual sin? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot he's speaking of sexual intercourse, is one body with her. For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. And notice, sexual intercourse is not only a physical act, it involves the emotion, it involves the soul, it involves the spirit. And this is why he's saying, don't you know that as two become now one in sexual intercourse, they become one flesh? But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Our bodies are one in the spirit with the Lord. Therefore, we should not take what is joined in the Lord and then join it to sin. He says there, verse 18, flee sexual immorality, run away from it. Every sin that a man does outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Notice that. What's the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body is. It's not this building only here at Woodruff and Imperial. The Spirit of God, the presence of God lives in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. Your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. In fact, verse 20, it would say this, for you were bought at a price. He has purchased you. What does it mean when you are bought? It means that he owns your body. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. It's the same. Notice, your body and spirit are one. Which are God's? Who are they? Say it with me. Which are God's? Your body belongs to God. Therefore, we should not join our body as a member that belongs to the body of Christ to become a member of any type of sin. To now dabble with, entertain, pornography, fornication, adultery, any type of sexual sin that your body does not 
belong to you. Notice that. As we go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, what we're learning here, as he spoke in Corinthians, that you are not to serve the old master. What's the old master? The flesh, the devil, the sin nature, that, that lust that consistently wants to drive you to satisfy itself. You are to serve the new master. Who's the new master? The Lord. Just because it brings a momentary pleasure, I'll tell you this, in your life doesn't mean it's honoring to God. We can't give our body just whatever it wants because then it'll be led by reckless emotion. It'll be led by the flesh. It'll, it'll be led by the old master. In fact, we've heard it say, be said many times, you should master your body. Your body should not master you. You think about that, that you should serve and use your body to serve the Lord. Exercise self-discipline, that you would know this is the way that I have made a decision as to how I'm going to live my life to please God. Now, as he's explained this in verse 4, he tells us the degree as to which this control is to be exercised. You're to exercise self-control, but notice the second half of verse 4, to the degree of what? Two words, sanctification and honor. This is how you are to please the Lord. This is how you should know how to possess your own body. Two ways that mark the degree of what it means to please the Lord. Two things. Number one, sanctification. We looked at that. What does it mean? A personal consecration. A separation that your life is separated for God's service. This is how you live a life that pleases God. In sanctification. This is how we know that we're living a life that is pleasing to the Lord, how we're possessing our vessel, how we're controlling our body in a way that is separated, that pleases the Lord. It's set apart for God's service. Remember that. When you think about the word sanctification, remember this, set apart for God's service. Set apart for God's service. The second marker or degree as to how we are to exercise self-control is honor. Not simply sanctification, but also honor, holiness, and purity. But the word honor there, notice what it describes. It describes this very important word that I want you to think about today. It's the word respect. Not only is your body to be controlled and be set apart for God's service, it also should be so holy that it's worthy of respect. Did you know that's what honor means? That your body should be so holy that it's worthy of of respect toward God. That your body is worthy of respect to he who owns it, the Lord. That your body is worthy of respect to God who dwells in it. That your body is worthy of respect to God who it represents. That your body is worthy of honor or respect to the church which it is a part of. That you would not disrespect or dishonor God with your body. That word is very important today, that, that we would use the body as a sacred instrument devoted to the service of the Lord and give it true honor. You know what the world wants you to do? To disrespect the body that God has given you. Compromise it with sin. But here he says the degree as to how you are to control your body is separated for God's service, sanctification, and the second one, worthy of respect to the God it belongs to. Our bodies represent the Lord. And it should be used 
for the holy purpose that it was intended and created by God. This is exactly what he means here. That it would be, in a way, carried in honor. Now notice, immorality is the opposite of honor. Sexual sin is the opposite of honor. Notice what it does. Sexual sin degrades. It debases self. It lowers you to a place that God has not called you to be in. And those who don't restrain their sexual desires, notice, they don't act with the will that God has given them to be able to behave in a way that honors them. Notice, what, what kind of creatures have no self-restraints, that they just do whatever they want? You know what they are? Animals. He's saying, act like that intelligent design that God has created you to be with the willpower in mind to exercise self-control over your own body to make a choice as to how you're going to live your life. I like what A.W. Tozer said. He said this, All things, as they move toward God, are beautiful, and they are ugly as they move away from Him. You think about your life right now, it becomes more beautiful, worthy of honor, worthy of respect, as it moves toward God. But any time it moves away from God, notice it becomes more ugly or without respect. It was in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, that Paul told the church of Rome, he, he tells them the very same thing when it comes to using their body in a way that serves God. And he would say this, Romans 6, 11, likewise you reckon, logazomai in the Greek, it means put out of business. It means that it's inoperable now, yourself to be dead indeed to sin. Reckon, consider yourself to be dead to that old sin, but be alive to God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That you'd be dead to that old sin, but be alive to the Lord Jesus. Therefore, verse 12 of Romans 6, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. Don't let sin be alive in your body anymore. And don't present your members or your body parts as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Notice, use your body as a member for righteousness. Use your body as a tool to serve the Lord and to glorify Him. Present your body as a slave of righteousness for holiness. In fact, he reminds them later on in Romans 6, 19 then, he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. I want you to understand this now. Just as you presented your members, notice your body, as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. That's what sin does. It leads to more sin. That's all it does. So now, notice, you used to do that. But so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Paul says there used to be a day where you use your body to serve self and lust and pleasure and sin. And you were motivated by a passion to satisfy the cravings of your flesh. Now with that same passion that you had, use your body to serve the Lord now. How many times when we were in the world, you think about it, a life of sin, that you would sacrifice anything. It didn't matter at what time it was. You had to work the next day. You were up all night you know, with friends doing, you know, the desires of what your flesh wanted to do, and you didn't care how many rules you broke because you were using your body to please self. 
Now you think about how, how many times Christians, they say this. Oh, you know, I was up so late, I can't come to church. I can't read my Bible now. The same energy, the same effort, the same passion that you had before, now use that to use your body to serve the Lord. Why? Because it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, one more time. Verse 16, do you not know that you're the temple of God? Know this, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. Know that today. You're the temple of the living God. That means that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And he says, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We are to keep the house clean. Why? Because the Spirit of God resides in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We are to keep the temple clean. We are the place where the Holy Spirit takes residence. This is exactly why he's talking about living a life where your body is glorifying the Lord. Notice, if you said, well, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, you know what's going to follow also? Your mind will follow at the altar. Your body will follow at the altar. Your will will follow at the altar. Because all of you, both mind, body, and soul, spirit, will glorify the Lord at the altar. And he says this in verse 5 as we continue reading, not in passions of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. He's saying, now don't act like the godless pagans. Don't use a, the, the lustful passion. Don't be dominated by it like the Gentiles. Now, who does he refer to when he says Gentiles? He's referring to unbelievers. The, the unbeliever, the one that's not a Christian who doesn't know the Lord, they don't have the spiritual resources to walk in impurity before the Lord. They, they have no restraints. So he says, your life should look different than the life of the unbeliever. We should not try to mirror, to try to fit in, to try to be accepted by the morals and values of those that don't know Jesus Christ. In fact, in verse 5, notice what it says. They don't know God. You know what that means? They don't know God's ways. As a Christian, you know God's ways. You know that you should live your life different than those who don't know God. He says, so you should not live your life like the godless pagans or unbelievers. What are they ruled by? They're ruled by and dominated by master passions of the lust. Whatever the lust wants, the unbeliever will go and be drawn to that lust. Evil cravings of the flesh, uncontrolled desires that it cannot subject to self-control. What about this? Excited emotions that it wants to satisfy compelling feelings or overpowering urges. That's what it's talking about when it describes a Gentile. You think about it, what a person doesn't know Jesus Christ and they're living a life of sin. They go from one partner and relationship of sexual now satisfaction, then they get bored. They say, well, I don't want to be in this relationship. I must go to another that gives me the feeling and desire and the pleasure that I want. And it's all about bringing and satisfying the lust and desires of the flesh. You know what he's saying there in verse 5? That the body must not be used for immoral purposes. It must not be under the influence of the passion of lust. It must be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible plainly, clearly tells us here. 
that our conduct should be different than the conduct of the prevailing, now, permissiveness of the culture and of the world that we live in. That we should stand out. People should notice that person lives different in morals, in values, in standard. They live at a higher standard. Their standard is sanctification. Their standard is honor. They're, they're living not to please themselves, but to please the Lord. You know how we can do that when we have the right values and right morals that come from Scripture? I heard a story of two thieves that broke into a clothing store. And before they successfully took a lot of items from that store, they actually rearranged price tags. So when customers went in the next day, the suits were priced at $5, and the shoes were priced at $150. Do you notice that's exactly a perfect illustration as to what worldliness looks like? Those thieves could not change the value of the merchandise easily. They couldn't change the value of it, but they could easily change the price. That was very simple. You know what the world wants to do? It wants to change your values by changing the price and making it appealing to you. And then you live with warped values. You should make sure that your values are the values of Scripture and that you don't have warped values because the world has given you something that looks that is appealing. It can change the price tag, but it cannot change the value. And we have to be able to spiritually see this, that a believer's conduct must be different than those who don't know God. In fact, what did Paul tell the church of Galatia? He said there in Galatians 5, 24, and those who are in Christ, those who are born again, what have they done? They've crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. There's only one place where the passions and lust and desires belong. I'll tell you, the only place where you can take that passion and lust, you can take it at Calvary and you can nail it to the cross. That's where it belongs there. Immorality is incompatible with your allegiance to Christ Jesus. It, it does not fit. The body is not an instrument for self-gratification. Now, why is this important to talk about this? Because you can't glorify God in your body if you cannot do that. If you can't glorify Him in your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, how will you glorify God in the body, which is the church? You must keep yourself pure. Our bodies clean, clean from sin. And it all goes to from what the things that you see to the things that you partake of and participate and allow into your body, the things that you listen to, what you do, what, what you surround yourself in, that you would not compromise, you would know, God called me out of the darkness and God called me into the light. It was John the apostle that would say this in 1 John 1.7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, light is spiritual. Light means here the spiritual walk that pleases the Lord. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we fellowship with one another in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. 
A lot of people say, well, I know God called me out of darkness. And I know, yes, he called me into the light, but I like to stand in the shade. You know when you stand in the shade, you compromise in the shade? You know what happens if you live your entire life in the shade? You become shady. <laughs> full of compromise. Full of disobedience. There's no real light. There's no power. Jesus himself said in the Sermon of the Mount, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You, you are called to be now in front of people shining your light for Jesus Christ. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. They don't hide it. But they put it on the lampstand. And it gives light to all those that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know what that means? That you should live a life that brings light into a dark world. Today, you should live a life that brings light to a dark world. This is what he means. Do not live your life like the unbeliever who doesn't know. Your life should be different, different values, different standards, different morals. That your life is becoming a light, a beacon of life to a dark world. Now notice verse 6 as he continues, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. And notice that he begins this here. He not only wants us to glorify God, but also to escape judgment. Live a, in a pure way, in a blameless way, not taking advantage of other people. The word to take advantage means never cheat other people, never harm them. And what does he mean there by not cheating in relation to sexual immorality? He says, don't harm, don't defraud a fellow brother in this matter of sexual sin. Why? Because God draws a line which we are not to cross. God draws a line that we are not to trespass over any other person. What does this mean when it comes to defrauding or taking advantage? Well, illegitimate sexual activity defrauds and it dishonors, it rips off, it takes away spiritually. Not only is it destructive socially and spiritually, it has consequences and implications. But it brings now, it robs you of that which God intended in his, in his perfect will. You know what, how it does that? Because it begins with lust. Lust always rips people off. Lust always defrauds. If you're in a relationship and you're being told, you know what, if, just do this with me if you love me. If you really love me, you would do this. That, that, that is not love. That is lust. You can break up with that person today. Love does not defraud. Remember that. So he says here that you would not take advantage. And an adulterer, you know what he does? He defrauds his spouse. He defrauds his children. The fornicator, he defrauds his future spouse. He defrauds the plan of God in his life and his children. They both defraud one another in the sexual act of sin. He says, don't defraud one another. Don't rob one another of that intended plan that God had for your life, which is holiness. Three reasons why we are to never defraud one another in this manner. Why we are to stay pure from sexual sin. Number one, notice there in verse 6, it says this, because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarn you and testified. Why? Number one, because God will punish all sexual sin. 
No one will be able to get away with it, even if it's undiscovered. Right now you would say, well, you know, nobody knows about it that I'm doing this. No one's going to find out. Notice, sexual sin has consequences. And you know who's the avenger? God will judge. He says, we've already told you about this. Don't you think that you can get away with it? Don't you think that because no one else is involved, I'm just watching this behind the scenes, that that really it's not going to have any type of consequences? No, it will. In fact, Paul says this in Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. Don't lie to yourself thinking this is okay. It's not okay. God is not mocked. You cannot play with God. You can't lie to him. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Whatever you're sowing into right now, even if you're sowing into it in private, I want you to know this, you will reap to it in public. Whatever you sow in private, you will reap in public. For whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. How do we sow to the Spirit? In prayer, in the Word, in submission to God, in surrender. That gives us, we reap there, everlasting life in obedience. In fact, you think about what Paul said there in Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, thinking about the return of Christ, you will also appear with him in glory. Be ready for that day. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desire, covetousness. All of this is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. God will judge whoever lives this type of lifestyle. The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you once walked when you lived in them. This used to be you, but you are called out of this lifestyle now. What is the first reason as to why we should not defraud one another in sexual sin? The first reason, because God is the avenger. Remember that God will hold you accountable. You will reap that which you have sown. Number two, the reason why we should not defraud one another is because God called you to live a holy life. Verse 7, notice, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. The reason why we should not defraud one another, it tells us there in verse 7, because holiness is God's purpose for your life. This is God's plan for your life. And not to live an unpure life, that's inconsistent to who we are in Christ Jesus. That is not what God's called us to be. In fact, uncleanness is what we inherit by the natural birth. By Adam, as we sin, the Adamic sin in nature, we inherit that, uncleanness. But what God calls us to is holiness. And notice how we inherit that when we're born again. That's by the reason of new birth. And as we are born again, now we have the uh, nature of the Spirit working within us to make us more like Jesus Christ. Now, you know what the natural man wants? He wants to delight in the willingness of the flesh. But the spiritual person doesn't delight in the willingness of the flesh, but in the virtue of the Spirit. Today it's about the virtue of the Spirit. This is why he said this is not God's plan for your life. God didn't call you to this. He called you to be set apart. So don't live outside of God's purpose for your life. What did Paul, Peter tell the church? 
This is what the Lord has said. Be holy, for I am holy. You want to be more like God? In the image of God? And you're called to be set apart? That you would not compromise in your body. This is why it says, this is God's will for your life. Holiness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it would say, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Know this very clearly. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, notice it lists sexual sins, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. If you live this lifestyle, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, the Bible says. And notice what it says, because sometimes we are now repulsed by this type of behavior. But notice what the Bible says, and such were some of you. Isn't that amazing that, that we were that, but the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed us? We're not that anymore. God washed us of our sins. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, you were declared innocent in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God has justified you, He's sanctified you, He's cleansed you. In fact, you have no excuse. Sometimes you would say, well, you don't understand. I'm being tempted so much. And I'm always tempted. Every time I'm alone, I'm tempted. I'll tell you this, then don't be alone. <laughs> you know what the Bible has said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God is so faithful. And there is no temptation that is not common to men. There's no one, or there's no temptation that you are going through that hasn't first someone else experienced by somebody else already. God is faithful. He knows. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to. God is so faithful. Notice what the Bible says. He will always make a way of escape. If you're by yourself, he'll make a way of escape. If you're with, in a relationship and you're being tempted with sexual sin, he'll make a way of escape. If you're with your boyfriend and your girlfriend, things are getting really hot, God will make a way of escape. No matter where you are, he is so faithful so that we live a life according to his purpose and plan in holiness. Notice why? Because it's possible to have a safe soul but a wasted life, a life of compromise. So this is the third reason in verse 8 as to why we are to not defraud our brothers. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man. Now, this is amazing that he says this. That way today you can't leave. I don't like what the pastor said today at church. It didn't come from me. It came from the Lord. I'm the messenger. You take this from the Lord directly. And he says, whoever rejects this, you're not rejecting man. This is the third reason. So that you don't reject God. So that you don't disobey God. You are to not defraud one another because God is the avenger. Because God called you to holiness. Because this is coming from God. And you're not disobeying man. You know who you're rejecting? You're rejecting the Lord. This is not from human origin. This is rooted in the revelation of God's word for us. Don't despise the truth. Don't despise God. As the apostle would tell the Hebrews, Hebrews 13, today if you're hearing the voice of God, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Today if God's speaking to you, don't harden your heart about it. Don't be rebellious about it. Don't be stubborn about it. Say, Lord, today forgive me. I know you can forgive me. Condemnation, I'll tell you this, doesn't come from the Lord. It comes from the enemy. 
It comes from living a life of sin. But you know what comes from Jesus? The Holy Spirit, forgiveness, cleansing, restoration. And you would say, well, I don't know how this is possible. Well, notice the end of verse 8 as we come to a conclusion. It says this, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit, God empowers us to overcome temptation. He's given us his spirit and he has made it the way possible for victory in our lives. He's given us the resource to victory and we are responsible with that resource, which is the power of the Holy Spirit that's living in us. That is the mission of the Holy Spirit to sanctify God's children to him. The purpose is that he would take residence in your life and make you more like Christ. He has given you his spirit. So what does that mean? Then when you're in a place of trouble or a temptation or a moment of weakness, you know what you can say? Lord, I ask that by your spirit, you would give me the strength to keep my life pure of sin. A.W. Tozer said it best when he said this holiness as taught in the scriptures, is not based upon knowledge on our part. It's not simply what you know. Rather, it is based upon the resurrected Christ indwelling in us and changing us into his likeness. What does that mean? It's not in our own strength that we can do this. You'll fail every time. But to maintain a pure life, you're saying, Holy Spirit, your spirit, Lord, give me the strength. Holiness, know this, is always a mark of the Spirit's work in your life. You want to know if the Spirit is working in your life? You know what's the first mark? Holiness. That is the mark of the Spirit working in your life. And the obligation to live a holy life, you know what it comes? It arises from your reception of yielding and submitting and surrendering to the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what we need to do today. Surrender, submit to the Holy Spirit, not quench the Spirit, not grieve the Spirit in our lives with sin or with a compromise, not rebel against it or refuse the Holy Spirit in a compromised life. In fact, I want to give you four verses as we close this morning, how believers can stay pure in an impure world. Number one, by hiding his word in your heart. Write that down. By hiding his word in your heart. The psalmist said this, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word, Psalms 119.9. Psalms 119.9. How can a young man stay pure? By taking heed according to the word. We've heard it be said before. This book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. You want to live a pure life? Then open up the Bible, get in the word of God, and let the word of God get in you. Let it change your life. Number two, by making a conscious choice not to lust. What did Job do in the Old Testament? He was struggling. He was in a moment of weakness. You know what he did in his moment of weakness? Because that's when the devil will tempt you, when you're weak. You know what Job said in Job 31 verse 1? I have made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look upon a young woman. Job 31 verse 1. How do you keep yourself pure? By making a conscious choice not to lust. That means that if you know, if you look this way, and you're going to lust, then don't look that way. Look this way instead. You're making a covenant, a contract, a promise with your eyes. You will not lust. What did Jesus say? If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. That's the standard that Christ puts before us in his word. 
So you are to keep a pure life in an unpure world by number one, hiding his word in your heart. Number two, making a conscious choice not to lust. Number three, walking under the control of the Holy Spirit. You're walking in submission and surrender. Galatians 5.16. I say then walk in the Spirit in submission. Yield to the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You know, we sang this song right now, Lord, empty me and then fill me with you. Sometimes we say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. And the Lord responds, I can't fill you because you're already full of yourself. Or you're full of sin. You're full of something else. We have to walk in the spirit, say, Lord, empty me and then fill me with you. I come under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's how we maintain a pure life. Number four, by fleeing temptation and pursuing righteousness. In 2 Timothy 2.22, you know what he says? Flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Who do you surround yourself with? Flee the company that only corrupts and takes you to sin. And surround yourself with people that are pursuing righteousness. You know, I love that story in the Bible in the Gospel of John where that woman that was caught in adultery, sexual sin, was brought before Jesus And she was accused by the religious leaders and they were all ready to stone her. And they were looking at Jesus that he would approve it. And Jesus, without a word, he kneels down and starts to write with his finger on the sand, on the ground. We don't know what he wrote, but we can imagine he wrote their sins or the law that would convict them of their own sin. One by one, they cast their stone to the side and left. And he said, where are your accusers, woman? Who's the one that condemns you? She said, no one. You know what Jesus responded? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know what Jesus is saying to us right now? If you ask for forgiveness, I don't condemn you. Just go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let's pray.